morning. This day, Saturday, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, everything seems to be in order. Baltimore, with any luck, will beat Pittsburgh today, placing the Steelers in their proper place in the universe. <laughs> and once more, we engaged in our friendly banter and I say adieu or not adieu. Good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Herr Miller, good morning. I, I made that mistake when, when I was in Germany. I was having uh, drinks, a lot of them, with, with some British journalists in, in Munich, of all places. And uh, when I raised my glass to them, I said, cheerio. <laughs> and that was their response, too. That was a few beers into it. And, uh, did they assume they were being dismissed, or did... Uh... Well, they were a lot nicer than Germans who would correct you in a different way and make you feel bad. <laughs> That's not what the word means. <laughs> you really need to understand the context of the word. <laughs> use it properly. <laughs> then you get a lecture in detail. Well, we're going to get one anyway because we have friends that that's not how Germans sound when they speak English. And... <laughs> My favorite one is when you pretend to be a woman. <laughs> Excuse me? No. <laughs> have an imitation. Have an yeah. <laughs> it's my, my impersonation of a woman is perhaps more akin to where, well, actually where I learned it from, which is mighty pythons oh <laughs> so it has like this shrill little british gun that's what i mean <laughs> i think i prefer so, german to that yes I, I just want to make sure we set that record straight it's not that oh. on the weekends i dress up pretty and hit the town but uh not that there's anything wrong with that it's 2023 you do you yeah, so we don't judge here no 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 sir so, well how you doing um, I, I think I'm fine. I'm tired and uh, excited about the new year in, in a weird way. But um, the amount of work um, that I tend to do is, is I need to build up my endurance again. And that's sort of the... I mean, you've been slacking off for the last couple of weeks? Well, I, I walk, walked away from the computer. And uh, that's not easy to do. But if you take about eight days away from it, you realize how exhausting it is. And, and Zoom meetings are unique. I mean, we're kind of doing one now, but there are visual cues that you need to be aware of. And so you can't, I mean, it's different than talking on a phone, which in some ways is a lot easier because you, I mean, it's like you're being watched. And if it's a, if you have multiple people on the Zoom, it's even worse. So it, it brings with it, it takes your energy and it, your eyes have to be focused um, but it's not natural, you know, like if you're having a normal in-person conversation. Um, there, there, there's, there's nothing natural about this. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, maybe we, we've we learned to do it because we've had to. But, uh, I th yeah, I think the, the Zoom meeting drains, drains a person, and I'm feeling that. It is interesting because, you know, you've heard at the onset of not the onset, but like shortly after the onset of the pandemic that, you know, people talked that Zoom meetings and teleconferences would be the future. Yes. And of course, I was always a bit hesitant every time someone told me about what was now going to be the future yeah. uh, uh, because 
oftentimes it's people who take the present and just extrapolate from that and assume that that's going to be here forever. And it never really is. But, um, you know, people talked about, well, no one will go to movies again. No one will shake hands anymore. You know, it's just all these ridiculous kind of knee jerk reactions. But, um, one of it has to do with the kind of the zoom meetings. And I, I do think, and I'm not sure what it is. I mean, yes, there's an artificiality to it. Yes. You're in front of a screen. In some cases, people are in front of three screens, which I cannot envision as any more soul crushing than that. But, uh, uh, that's how I live. I have, you, you know, I have two screens on each, one on each side and one in the middle They're big screens with a bright light coming at me. I know that's what I'm saying. It's soul crushing. Every time I see your office, every time I go to your house and I see your office, I just oh my god, I feel bad. So that's why I'm tired because I, I increased the size of my screen from like 21 inches uh, to 27, and so I'm surrounded by size matters. It does. So maybe maybe there's something there, but it's 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 uh it's wearing me down. Um, but you were saying something else. You were making it's a, just a, it's just the inauth it. Yeah, it's just the inauthenticity of the fact that, you know, a conversation requires, certainly a good conversation, requires a certain amount of intimacy between the individuals discussing and talking and hashing over things. And when you do it through Zoom, that authenticity is lacking because the intimacy is lacking. You know, as much as as much as people would have you believe that there's no difference here, I, I do feel that there is a difference. There's a difference in how we interact. There's a difference in what we might consider to be appropriate or not appropriate, things we might do on Zoom that we would not do where we face-to-face -face with the individual that we're talking to. And so there's something lacking, and I can't put my finger on it, but I feel it. You feel it, as you've said. And I think others may as well. So. There, there are things, for example, you may think that I that you're right in front of me, but you could be on the left screen and I could be searching my email right now in front of me. Um, there's always that uh, or, or checking on something. And, and so there you're surrounded by potential distractions. Um, but from a business standpoint, I don't know if I could do a, a sales pitch. You know, I sell research surveys and things like that. Uh, I couldn't go to somebody's office and tell them about what we're doing and, and close a deal because that's telling and the better way is to show. And so suddenly, you know, what I can do is a screen share and actually show a dashboard and show some summary right. reports. And, and so when I have a, a meeting, I actually prepare. I have about six or eight windows ready to go for each person. And then if it comes up that I should do a little demo, my website's already there and I just share it. Um, so you have a lot of flexibility and I think it depends on who you're talking to. You know, I mean, like you and I can have a conversation that, that's just fine, you know, be, but maybe it, with people you don't know, it, it, it becomes hard to make a connection that might be different from, you know, talking to friends. It could be, I think, I think, yeah, I think if, if the subject is technology, mm -hmm. then perhaps technology is, is the best medium to use to have that conversation you know but then if the conversation is not about technology then you know perhaps 
one-on-one face-to-face is perhaps the better way to go. Um, but just in general, the notion that you're tired, I'm wondering, over the course of the last week, have you made any New Year's resolutions to not work as much as you do now? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm constantly making and breaking resolutions. It happens <laughs> every day. Uh, it's, not, it's not a New Year's thing. I'm, I'm constantly setting um, goals and, 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 and not fulfilling them. But, uh, no, I did decide that uh, my scheduling is haphazard. Um, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that having meetings at the top of each hour, you know, four or five of them in a row is, is not sustainable. And so I've decided to shift so there's about an hour and a half in between in between meetings, at least a full hour, and, and kind of own the schedule and spread them out uh, more. I'm also making sure that I can work out in the morning comfortably and you know so I, so instead of starting my first meeting at nine i might start at 9 30 and then do another one at 11 and but no more than four and three is better so i'm going to try to you know craft the schedule so i don't have these back-to-backs because that that takes a a toll and some of us are uh practically elderly you know <laughs> so that so I don't want to feel like I have to go sit in my recliner and take a nap in between or something. But but the back to back is something. So that that's one of my resolutions is to take control of that calendar. Have you ever had a resolution to take naps during the day? Uh, I don't know. I'm. Uh, it could, why do you Why do you think you work as much as you do? What is it that drives you? work as often as you do baylor and texas a&m <laughs> <laughs> and, and another, you were working before baylor and texas a&m so i mean well there's there's a quote by nietzsche uh, the german philosopher who said i do not pursue happiness i pursue my work um, and yeah, but have you ever given any thought as to why you pursue your work what do you think is responsible for how you view work? Um, that's a psychological issue. I mean, there, there's a or so, somehow I, there's a chip on one of my shoulders. I don't know which one, but that 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 has made me very competitive. And so I felt this, you know, growing up with athletics, playing the piano. And I always felt I was competing. And if I say I wasn't practicing the piano or I wasn't in the practice room or playing tennis, my opponents were. You know, it's like the Charlie's stooping down in the bush, you know, and <laughs> in your hotel room with the hand spinning. Um, but I, I took took that to heart. And and then I'm also bad at recreation. You know? And so for some reason, instead of doing normal relaxing activities i i continue in the free time to just try to get good at things um so the competition drive really never stops so for you this is more than just the notion of work this is also the the notion of you in relation to others who are pursuing the same things this is about constantly striving to be better than you currently are I, th- I think so. And I mean, the work I'm doing now, I, I have complete control over it. And, and so it's, it's quite different than going to a job and work, working, you know, having your own business 
it, I wouldn't even consider it work. It's just, you know, it's it's because you're you're building something, you know, and you almost get paid two or three times for everything you do because you're building foundation. And, and it's not about making money. It, it is, but that's not the um, what keeps you going uh, as much as you're trying to create something that that's meaningful. Um, so I'm, but I, I like it. I mean, I like, I like, I don't remember those days when you were teaching, when you're getting your car and you're thinking, why, why am I doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I felt that for, for 20 years and then you got, got there and you realize, yeah, why am I still here? Um, but, um, I feel that now, you know, there, there's never, never any question. And so I should have done this years ago. What's well, interesting because I think about what motivates you in your work. For me, I think that there is certainly a there's a motivating factor, of course, in why anybody does anything. For me, I think it's because for times in my childhood, we were poor. And, you know, you hear sometimes you hear people say, you know, we didn't know we were poor. I knew I was poor. You know, it's 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 uh it's malarkey uh to some degree when people say we didn't know we were poor. I knew I was poor. And I think my whole life has been about a fear of being poor again. Mm-hmm. Now it's not now it, I my attempt to course correct is not off kilter in the sense that I'm trying to become rich. Yeah, I'm just trying to be, you know, the old joke about the Jew that gets hit in the, in the street and by a car, and someone runs up to him, you know, Mr. Nussbaum, are you okay? He goes, I'm comfortable, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I'm comfortable, and that's what I, I seek to be. I don't seek to be rich. I don't seek to be, um, uh, you know, I, I, I because I don't seek to be rich. It kind of moderates a bit about what I do and how I do it. Uh, evidenced by the fact that, you know, since my retirement, I've not really transitioned to anything just yet. But uh, certainly I like the idea of work. And to me, it, to work and to be busy is fun, you know, and it has to be that way to, in order. I heard someone say that it's only work if you'd rather be doing something else. Um, and so for me, you know, it's it's I don't mind the idea of work, but it is interesting to know and to think about why Americans sometimes get called out for our notions of work. Why do you think that is? Well, it's probably, there's a better answer that you have because, you know, historically you might go back to the Protestant work ethic and things like that, but but there's sort of a a pathology. There's a a sickness, you know, that we work, you know, so much. And and I, I think that we're, guilty of you know taking work home with us and you know working more days and um businesses are are trying to i mean they're actually telling people to take vacations because they know that right. they're more productive having taken that rest and 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 to the point where companies will um force everybody at the same time take this time off if it's possible and so they're not emailing each other when the other people should be out relaxing um but I think we're we're bad at um, recreation to some extent because we're so competitive and our jobs tend to be stressful. At least that's the perception I have. And other countries, 
they they really do know how to draw boundaries better than we 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 do. And so when when they're done and they leave, they they probably don't think about work like like we do. I wonder if because companies are actively trying to get people to stop work for a while. Mm-hmm. I wonder if workers trust that. You know, because you know the idea of like if you're, you know, I had principals especially over the last 10 years, last 10, 15 years that I was teaching, I'd have principals that would say, hey, listen, you need to take care of you. But I never trusted that really when when it came down to brass tacks, if I said, well, I didn't get that done because I was taking care of me, I never thought that that was going to be a legitimate excuse, that there was still a boatload of stuff that I was required to do and that I could not say that I was taking a little me time, that that was going to be a legitimate reason for not doing the 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 increasingly accumulating litany of things that I had to do as part of my job as a teacher. So I wonder if part of it is that the workers who hear this from their bosses, they just don't trust it because there has not been a sea change as far as the notion of work. Mm-hmm. Well, I say that. You know, you hear a lot about, mm-hmm. you hear about, uh, you know, restaurants and, and different things like that, talking about how it's hard to find people to work. And you even hear corporations talk about it's hard to find people to work the way they want them to work. You know, when you have a 23-year-old just starting out on their new career and they're trying to find a work-life balance, you know, that, you know, from from our experiences, that's not when you try to find a work-life balance. You know, you find it later on when you're established and then you have a family later on down the road, whatever the case may be. But um well there, there's does, there's some stress, you know, in, in missing work. And I mean back, I think back to teaching, I mean, when you had a substitute, you actually put in two days of work because first of all, you had to make detailed lesson plans that they could execute. And and when you're teaching yourself, you know, you, you make the real lesson plan, which means you know where you're going, but you don't have to articulate it all. And and often uh, you realize that your students aren't going to learn much without you. So you come up with something that's just enough to keep everybody's attention. And then you go back and you have to recover that day. And um, it becomes more, more problem than just going into work. And that I think a lot of teachers feel that that way that it's it's not worth it and and it does something psychologically because teaching is hard and if you are uh, as soon as you're of that mindset that you need to get away from those kids you know you kind of you're you're in trouble you know and and so both of us we didn't take a lot of days off and i think for good reason it's true i'm wondering when we go to europe is it easy for you to fall into the european mindset now, granted, when we're there, a lot of times when we were there together, we were there in a capacity that did not require a lot of us. But did you have an easy time falling into that mindset, or did you, or was there always tension when you were in Germany or other places where the work ethic was thought of differently? I would have had <clears throat> had to spend, you know, three weeks or so to get get out of the mindset of being productive. And so I, I found it a little, I mean, it, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't a vacation, 
certainly having 20 kids you're responsible for. So there's this this worry, but going into the, the school was kind of this pretend working. We weren't actually working there, but we were making sure everything was running smoothly. And then you have all this time on your hands. Uh, I mean, you and I had a lot of fun during that. We, I don't think we let that get in our way, the fact that we were yeah. um, so... But but the the days seem really long uh, for me. Every day in Europe seemed like two, um, just because you know it was so spread out. And and they take their time. I mean, they have long meals, particularly their evening meal, um, and it, it can go on and on and on. We tend to have to adjust, I think, to to that slower pace. So this protraction of time where one day seems like two, was that an unpleasant experience or did it, did it leave you more angst ridden and anxious than anything else? Well, I think, um, as Heidegger would, would say, I'm the way that I, my, my being in the world is one of anxiety, no matter what. <laughs> so, so I'm going to create that. Um, but, um, yeah, like the, the pink, Floyd, like the pink Floyd line of living lives of quiet desperation and, well, yeah. So it, it, it's funny because there, there, there were moments that we had to address over there, but they, but for the most part, we had to get used to the fact that we, we were basically relaxing for a couple of weeks, you know, and that, right. that's sort of hard to swallow, I guess. Um, and then you, you take little tours with the students and you get annoyed again. And so they're, they're <laughs> kind of breaks the spell, right? We're on these tours with kids who aren't really paying attention and you have to redirect and think, okay, <laughs> I am, you know, you're on a train and you have to tell them to remove their feet from the seat or the, the conductor will do it for them. Yeah. <laughs> And as, as much as you try to prep them beforehand, uh, the lessons never really take. And so, yeah, so I think, yeah, so it's annoying. So I, I felt a lot of annoyance during most of, you know, that, that time. I really didn't relax. Okay. So perhaps our time as uh, exchange student, student exchange leaders are probably not the best example, but let's take, for example, the time that you and I spent last year in Germany doing our little philosopher trip, uh, our philosophy trip. Uh, was it easy for you to let go of the work? Um, I think that that was unique. And yeah, we had a transition, you know, staying with friends in, in Germany. I think that, you know, that, that was really helpful. And, uh, you know, we kind of got our feet on the ground and did a, um, and we, we, we had different, stages of this trip um well actually we did podcasts from there and uh, i mean the only stress was when you were driving um, <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that it was pretty relaxed but you know we don't create stress being together you know there's <laughs> there's none of that so it's really really easy you know that that kind of travel and we did exactly what we want wanted to do so we you know, the itinerary was strange for a lot of people, you know, going yes. to these philosophers' houses and retracing their, their steps. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that, I, I think that we had such control over the time we were able to relax into it, uh, which, which is rare. It's strange, though. You mentioned the Protestant work ethic. And if I can don my history cap, historian's cap one additional time. You know, the, the <laughs> one know, last time. No, not one last time. But, uh, 
but you know, I think a lot of our Puritan work ethic uh, stems from the Puritans um, and in the notion of idle hands are the devil's playground. The notion that someone who's not busy is susceptible to the worst of vices. And, you know, we, so we have that ingrained in us. We have, in conjunction with that, we have traditionally in this country a notion that we are the masters of our fate. We're the captains of our own destiny. And so the combination of those two things has created a group of people who have realized that everything falls on our efforts. And so because of that, what that does is it creates an individual who perhaps works too much, who does not have that work-life balance that the kids talk about nowadays because everything rests on our shoulders. You know, um, and part of that is a byproduct of that Puritan work ethic. Part of that is a byproduct of, I think, a, of a democratic state. Because ultimately, in a democratic state, as, as someone once said, um, we were we were born to be free because everything we do is ultimately we're responsible for. And so, you know, to be free is to be responsible. And, you know, it's kind of antithetical to the way most people think about freedom nowadays. They don't think about it in conjunction with responsibility, but that responsibility weighs heavy. And so, especially if you are the head of the house, and I say that in the least patriarchal way possible, you know, if you are, if you are the head of a household, um, that comes with stresses and that motivates us to work. But it is funny that even though we're the byproduct of this of this mindset of this culture that it is so easy for us to forget it if put in the right situation and so if we're traipsing through the black forest looking for a hut that someone once did work in you know we can get back to not back to we can revert to a state where work is not of primary importance so, so we're really, we as in you and I, are really twisted. Because <laughs> we take a vacation and we intentionally go to places where people work, you know. And I, you know, we, you and I have been to see where Martin Luther um, translated the New Testament in Eisenach. Yes. We went right to that workroom you know, with us, that austere room, to see this is where where it all happened. And there, I've seen where Goethe worked and Nietzsche we, we've looked at that uh, together and, and of course Heidegger's hut uh, solitary hut in the black forest uh, really an the hotel odd. the hotel where Nietzsche uh, you know spent his time writing his ideas yeah. in Switzerland that's right so um, I mean if we would have taken that idea to a travel agent they would look at us and say you want to do what <laughs> <laughs> You want to go to a beach? <laughs> really? All <laughs> on a beach. Um, yeah, you, you, you think we're worse for <laughs> our attitudes? We, we, as in we, are Americans. Well, you can, you can, you can start with us. I guess you two. Uh, no, I, w- I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I am what I am. 
<laughs> uh, the, 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 I mean, if you can get to a stage where you're getting paid for doing something you enjoy and it's creative and it's challenging, all these things that you didn't necessarily get working in, you know, in, in jobs, you know, where there's so much frustration built into it. I mean, lots of good things come out of it. Um, but but yeah, I, th I think it's a it's almost a form of recreation. But you're you're building a business at the same time. So I don't I don't see any any problem. And you know, as you get older, as soon as you sit in that recliner and don't go back up to to work, you start to get old. And that and, that, and that's where you you know, you start to get sick and you fall down and can't get up. Uh, that's just, <laughs> so once you, I think the more you're working and the more your mind is engaged. I mean, doing all these Zoom conversations, your mind is not shutting down. As soon as you step away, you know, you go south immediately. <laughs> so you got to be careful. You know, keep keep talking, keep working, and don't fall down ever. To what extent do you see your attitude about work as a product of what a man should be? And I ask this question because I think, you know, there are many influences about how I kind of approach work and how I approach, you know, what I spend time doing. And one of them is something that my father said, and I think I've said it on here before, you know, where he said once, you know, you might as well be a mensch. And in kind of like in Yiddish terms, what that means is that to be a mensch is to do what is expected of a man. And now he's talking to me man to man, so I'm not, again, trying to be patriarchal here, but the notion that men have a responsibility. You know, we all have responsibilities, but in his mind, he thought part of a responsibility of a man is to work, to be productive, to do what is expected of you, to provide for who you are tasked with providing for. And so, to what extent have you ever seen work in that light or even thought about it? Well, we, we do a lot of things that we don't like. And for some reason, <clears throat> you and I both chose a career that you're not going to get rich doing. I mean, it's a subsistence level to support a family, you know, teaching. And so, and, and then there's a lot of it, you know, it's a difficult job. So we're, choosing something that's low paying and really hard. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, you know, I would always moonlight. And I mean, I started moonlighting as soon as I got a full-time job. And that, that started in like 1994. You know, I was either coaching uh, or I was playing piano in bars and restaurants and clubs and hotels, uh, or I was doing dissertation consulting or whatever. But it was always, you know, two jobs or a job and a half you know, just to make up that difference. And that's that's a, a sad thing about the teaching profession that you know, you're, you're, it, I think teachers in, in Europe tend to be in a better position, you know, to actually do one thing and they would be less likely to be seen moonlighting. Right. So for you, that work is not necessarily powered by a sense of what it means to be a man or be an adult. It has more to do with your usefulness. Oh no, no. I'm I'm I like being a mensch here, Miller. <laughs> I want to be a mensch like you when I grow up. Uh, 
but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I <don't, clears throat> as far as <clears throat> responsibility, yeah, don't really think about it. it. Just seems to be an automatic response. Right. I've I've never had any regret about going to work. Yeah, I've never never thought twice. I just assume that's what we do. That's part of what we are here to do, you know. And I think we talked about. I've mentioned this quote before, but the the quote by Wittgenstein and my, my students were always kind of troubled by this quote because I had it up on my you know, on the wall in my classroom. The quote being, "I'm not sure why we are here, but I'm sure it's not to enjoy ourselves." And my kids sometimes had a hard time with that quote, you know, because sometimes I would, you know, if I had, you know, if I had some spare time, you know, in a class or if I was, I'd wrap things up and I had a couple extra minutes before the end of class, then I would throw out one of the quotes over on the wall just to try to get people's impressions of it. And that was one of the quotes that the kids didn't get. And maybe it's, because they're young, maybe it's because you know they they don't they don't feel that responsibility yet. But you know, and it also deals with how you view the world and how you view your place in it. But it does seem to suggest that we are not here to take it easy. We're not here to, you know. Epicurus may have suggested that. That the perfect life is one unhindered by work. But Nietzsche would say that the complacent man is one who makes man's destruction desirable. That there's a notion that to be complacent, to be inactive, is to be rendered ridiculous. Hmm. Well, I, I I would love to hear those conversations about you know with students pushing back on, on that notion of um in enjoyment uh, as part of what you're what you're doing um but but you had another poster that was even more troubling if i remember what's that well it, it was the one with the dog and the gun and I, maybe we brought it up before but can you explain it because the two kind of fit together well no the the so yeah i think we did mention it a couple uh couple yeah. of weeks ago but but yeah. um but no it was a group of students uh that were ostensibly um happy that i was their teacher decided to do something for me (laughs) and there was a mad there was a mad magazine cover uh that showed a dog with a pistol to its head (laughs) and kind of looking at the (laughs) looking side-eyed at the pistol (laughs) trepidation and it was a (laughs) and it was something that suggested that you know buy this magazine or we'll kill this dog Right, and so what my students did was they took that cover, and they basically put it. They put it as a kind of a history magazine, and they in the they took the caption off the magazine cover and they placed it replaced it with "Pass this class, or we'll shoot this dog, or we'll kill this dog." <laughs> and what I found what I found funny was two things as it, as it relates to that poster. One was that most kids didn't pay attention to it. You know, it's like a lot, it becomes, it becomes like a, a kind of like a blur of stuff right. that's on teachers' rooms. Yeah. But what was equally funny was when a kid noticed it was there and noticed the message, <laughs> noticed the message 
and message in it, and and I, they they found it both horrifying. Some found it funny, but uh, but at the same time, it, it it does go back to the idea: of what are you doing? <laughs> thing. Wow. Well, the uh, so the the two combined creates uh, uh, this picture of a Mr. Miller classroom. You know, there's there's tension in, inherent, but a good type of tension, and, and we're not going to waste time. We're going to be productive. Um, and so you have those reminders just sitting there staring at them. I like it. Well, there's a, there's a couple of tensions there. One is the tension that you should be working when you're not working. Right. And two, there's the tension that what you're learning should not be a comfortable exercise. You know, that if, you know, that's why I reject the notion out of hand of safe spaces. Not that I believe in hitting kids, although the thought does cross my mind from time to time, but the notion that that uh, a safe space should not be an intellectual one. That if you are intellectually trying to create a safe space, that is perhaps more dangerous than not. You know, and so... For me, I think that's some of the ideas that I was trying to get across, you know. And when I would often have conversations with my students about this, mm-hmm. you know. And of late, it became a more contentious discussion. But at the same time, I think I think a lot of my students, not a lot, some perhaps, respected the idea or the notion of it. And I had horrible and challenging and difficult things happen that would ordinarily sideline any efforts. But for me, the work was always something that you could do not just to fulfill your responsibilities, but to reorient yourself and to prevent to prevent things from taking more time than was productive to do so, you know. Um, I don't. I don't want to get too much into this, but you know, I think we've talked about it before. Was um, in the course of my career, I had two students who died while they were my students, and in both cases, I remember having a discussion, saying that to saying something to the effect of, you know, trying to explain death is a futile endeavor and so therefore it's and ultimately it's a maddening experience and i would rather be productive than to be driven crazy with trying to understand something that's not understandable and you know so therefore and i found that a lot of my students connected with that and you know, of course, at the same time, you know, kids who needed to talk to someone, they should talk to somebody, you know. But it seemed, one, I'm certainly not qualified to talk to somebody about the notion of death in a way that would make someone feel better about things. And so, I, you know, it's a question of staying in your lane. And that, you know, in the face of difficulties, you work your way through it. And that there's honor in that, and there is nobility in that. 
It's heavy stuff here, Miller. But um, even, <laughs> um, you, you, you were teaching, you know, after 9-11, and I'm sure you had conversations um, with your students. And in, in my case, I, I tended to do what you just said, is is keep keep on driving, you know, keep um and it's just a, I think a natural reaction is to put put it out of the way and just do something. We happen to have something that's very distracting, which is doing class and, and learning. Right. Um, so, but I was maybe less comfortable than you know, based on what you just said, than you to, to even address something. You know, I would tend to just acknowledge and then you know, keep moving. Yeah. Plus, you know, I think anytime a group of people try to understand something that's difficult to understand in a group environment, yeah, I find that that tends to distract more than it tends to comfort. I think comfort comes from perhaps private introspection. And so I, I didn't see any benefit from some sort of cry fest, you know, to, you know, not meaning to put it harshly, but at the same time, you know, it's like the it's it's um, it's to paraphrase Sherlock Holmes. You know, emotions are understandable, but they're not helpful. And and so, so I think sometimes you need to kind of distance from it a little bit, in in order to maybe perhaps have a better perspective. And in both cases, I told my students that listen, I mean, this may not be how other teachers go, but in in you know, as far as as far as for me. I have to work to get through stuff like this. And thankfully, the vast majority of my kiddos went along with the ride, you know. Uh, but, you know, always saying, of course, you know, if you need someone to talk to you, you are incumbent upon your, you know, a responsibility to yourself to do that. Right. But nothing is achieved by commiserating here in a classroom with about 30 other people. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that as productive. Well, I don't want to describe the scene, but, but I, I mentioned to you before that you should watch Breaking Bad because there are parts of the, <laughs> the character of Walter White, but he did a speech to a to the school, to the student body, and uh, he took a, an approach that um, it would definitely make you chuckle. Uh, well, um, <laughs> but I, I admire Walter White, and I have a, a lot of Walter White in me, I think. I even wear his coat. <laughs> I don't drive his car, but I, I wear a Walter White jacket. <laughs> and a hat. No, I don't I don't do the Heisenberg hat. I don't know if I can pull that off. <laughs> I've thought about changing my name to Heisenberg, though. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> Outside the meth production. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you would love it. I'm, I, I'm I know you you and I both come to television series late, particularly ones that are highly recommended and popular, um, but sometimes they're actually just good. And this, this might be one of them. Um, but well, the, well so, so we're talking about work and um, we took it back to kind of our own, own experience and the general conversation about you know Americans and the the kids. I mean, let's just face it; we don't understand the mentality of younger people in some case. I mean, you know that 
we we wanted to work to impress people to get ahead and and we had this feeling that if we had a supervisor you know we wanted to be working you know and so my role always was i get there before my supervisor and leave after and, and right. that was kind of ingrained also and it sure isn't you know with with younger younger folks and it's a it's a very different mentality and that, i think that picture uh i, I guess it, it illustrates that, that we were old and we we grew up in a different era where this is what everybody did you know so we're not unique in anything we're saying here from our generation i think um no certainly we are not um separate from our generation in that regard i will say that for as much as the current crop of teenagers can be seen as symptomatic of all the stereotypes that you can envision that thankfully i've had plenty of experiences where kids represented the opposite and so perhaps perhaps all is not dead uh, as you know that um, there's there's more um there's more there than we fear that there isn't uh so i don't i don't want to damn an entire generation um you're right but it's, it, it makes better comedy when you go for extremes <laughs> stereotypes are funny and also a little bit true and that's what makes it funny so uh yeah <laughs> yeah so you're getting nuanced on me here miller <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, uh, perhaps uh, it's a, I, I certainly don't think we've exhausted the subject, but perhaps we've exhausted our uh, our attention to it at present. Yeah, we can come back to it later, but um, we, we shall uh, we shall let that rest for right now and see what see how people react to it. But uh, I don't know. I thought it was good work. Yeah, I, no, I don't think. Yeah, we're. We're doing an important work here with this podcast, enlightening people and uh, giving them something to laugh at, namely us. That's, that's a good, good thing. <laughs> we are, in our own ways, laughable creatures. So, <laughs> excuse me. All right. Well, in that case, we got football to watch. We do. Uh, we have an entire city of Pittsburgh to deflate and depress. And so, uh, let, let the let the moment be spared no longer. Uh, we shall sally forth and uh, uh, do our best today. Let's uh, just say, I do, Herr Doctor Bourgeois. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Miller. <laughs>